Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz and blues singer Janice Harrington. Described by the international press as warm-hearted and unique, she is at 80 years old these days and she is still very active. Born in 1942 in Cleveland, Ohio, with a stopover in Norway, she now lives in Germany with her husband, who is a very skilled trombonist and piano builder. Known as a very versatile artist, she masters blues, jazz, and gospel singing, as well as acting and music production, and looks back on a decades-long career that has carried her around the world. Those travels will land her in Kansas City here in March of 2023, on March 22nd at the Uptown Lounge, March 23rd at Knuckleheads, March 26th at the KC Beer Company, and finally, March 27th at the Hallowed Blue Room off 18 and Vine. She's got a wonderful tale to tell. Enjoy this interview. Wonderful. Well, it's great to meet you. You come very highly regarded by the wonderful Deborah Brown. She reached out to me and wanted to make sure that we got in touch and just going through your history and the prowess that you have in the world of music, it's wonderful. It's an honor to speak with you. It's an honor to speak with you, Joe, and thank you for your interest. And we both agree, Deborah is wonderful. I adore this woman. And I was like saying, you know, I, I have a blues CD that I produced in May of last year. Actually, it's a compilation of the, a lot of songs that I had written in the uh, early 80s. And I had a deal with CBS Records Scandinavia, and I always claimed the CD or the LP sold two copies, one in Sweden and one in Norway. And no one ever heard my songs, and I really am very critical of myself. But I love these songs, and I love the arrangements. And when I listened to them again, I realized they have stood the test of time. And the music is fantastic. So I was coming to Kansas City to sing blues because I am a blues singer. I can sing jazz, but hey, I would never call myself a jazz singer when I compare myself to the wonderful Deborah Brown because she is the best of the best. And for her to even to consider getting on stage with me at some point and singing jazz, I go like, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I caught her probably about, it's been probably four or five months ago, and she was spectacular. She was with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra at the Coffin, and it was it was wonderful. I mean, it was kind of that baptismal back into live music, and mm-hmm. she's always amazing, but to just see how she was glowing and how everybody was so relieved and the energy in the crowd, it was really wonderful. And she she's always great live, just oh, yeah, stellar. Oh, yeah. Yes, she is. Uh, so I told her, I said, you know, I listen to your music more and more and more, and I really realize how fantastic you are, and I'm going back to school just by listening to you again. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, you're on an American swing here, so before we get into what's going on right now, okay. I want to know, how did you survive COVID? You know, we're all looking at March 2023. It all began three mm-hmm. years ago. How did you mm-hmm. get through that time period, and how great does it feel to be able to travel and perform live abroad right now? Okay, first of all, uh, I have a wonderful husband. We're married 34 years, and we love each other. We're best friends first, then we love each other, and we respect each other. And we have so many things we share together. So, you know, being home together was not a problem for us. And I even began to start to write my autobiography, and I started to play trombone. 
he is a trombone player, and he's my teacher. So I had a lot of fun. It was like, for me, just slowing down and um, enjoying the life that we have. We live in the countryside. Uh, we didn't have to be on top of a lot of people. And then there was no people to worry about, period. We took long walks and uh, enjoyed our garden, and we had a good time. And traveling, we weren't traveling that much anyway, because to be honest, things for me basically had kind of slowed down because most of my contacts either retired or died. And, uh, you know, come on, I'm 80 years old, and uh, I have never been a person to really uh, push, push for gigs. I usually had, I'm known as a mother of gospel workshops in Germany, because it was my concept in 1989 to begin to make gospel seminars. And uh, I developed this market, and I took the total risk, and it, it was like planting a mustard seed. It just bloomed. And when the people came to me from all over Germany, I gave them the music. They paid for it for the workshop. So here, take it back home and start your own choirs. And that's what they did. So you find in Germany... There are gospel choirs in almost every little village. And I'm happy that that's the way the Lord led me to inspire people to sing gospel. Because when we first started to do this, uh, my husband is a piano tuner and a piano builder. And he was the uh, tuner for the city of Lüneburg. So he tuned for the big churches and the city uh, hall and da-da-da-da. And he had the connection to the cantor and a church called the Badovica Dome, one of the biggest churches there. And he asked the cantor, when I first decided to do these workshops, if I could have a workshop in the church. And the response was, I don't want this rock and roll music in my church, and I don't want my chairs broken. I go like, huh? What is that? I mean, you know, they were only for classic music. This was the mindset of those church people. But now they see that, uh, the German people want, they love gospel, they want to sing gospel, and that's what they're doing. So, you know, I uh, had produced that, then I produced Blues Festival, and I uh, had a lot of friends coming up for that. And I was just kind of doing my own thing and going out once in a blue moon on a gig when a band called me. So now, since I produced this CD, I have formed a label called Hip and Happy Records because I'm hip and I'm happy. And a music publishing company as well. I don't know what I'm doing, Joe, but I did it, okay? <laughs> so everybody said, you know, to uh, be taken seriously is a good way to go. And I got a grant from uh, GEMA. That's something like BMI, you know, a, a performing art society. And I put this together to make this CD. And I said, I'm going to reinvent myself, and now I say I am the new Alberta Hunter. I, uh, just very simply put, how does a girl from Cleveland grow up and become somebody that had, that had such an illustrious musical career living in Germany? How did all that happen? <laughs> well, we got to go back because, see, I left Cleveland when I was eight years old. Okay, and by the time I was 15 years old, my mother was married, but she was a single parent because my father was career military, so it was just her and me all the time. 
by the time I was 15, I had my first kid, and I was told I was going to get married. By the time I was 18, I had three kids. And by the time I was 25, I had five kids and the second husband. Okay? So overcoming those odds, (laughs) uh, I, you know, yeah, my mother always inspired me to just get up and go out and do it. Um, I really did not have the education I would have liked, and I felt trapped because I really did not want anyone over my children. I didn't, uh, yeah, I was working, trying to support five kids, and my mother was helping me. So when I had the opportunity to uh, start working in uh, with the USO shows, I made an audition at the Hollywood Bowl, and I couldn't resist that. I answered an ad in the Variety magazine. And uh, uh, Jimmy Sheldon at that time was the boss of the West Coast office. And he some, saw something in me, and he liked me, and he programmed me at least five or six times for different trips, three times to Vietnam and uh, to the uh, Panama Canal and to Iceland, Greenland, and I loved it. I really did. But when I think about what I did at that time, where my mindset was, I mean, I had five kids, and I'm going to Vietnam, but my mother allowed me to go. She took care of my kids. You know, it's the mothers in the world that support their daughters that allow things to happen. If it wasn't for her, none of this could have happened. So what was the first live show that you saw that either made you want to become a performer or just blew you away? (laughs) Okay. I was about, I must have been about three or four years old, and my mom went to... uh, I forget the name of the the theater in Cleveland, but Count Basie was playing. And she told me the story. That's why I know it. And he was playing, and I jumped out of her lap, and I started running to the stage shouting, Count Basie, Mama, Count Basie. (laughs) 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 But, you know, she had all these records at home, and I, I grew up, of course, like most people, listening to, you know, all the great, uh, the greats, you know, Ellington, Basie, Dinah, Sarah, Ella, on and on. And then later, uh, when I was older, it was Nancy Wilson. And you've gone on to, to, like, looking on your website and looking at all these pictures of Desmond Tutu and Buddy Guy and all Mm -hmm. these people and all of these roads that you've been down. What yeah. what have you what have you learned from these experiences of being around people that have that much pull and that are legends in this world? What have they taught you? I actually saw Dizzy Gillespie play in Bergen in Norway, and you know I've all, I, I wanted to be a comedian. I love comedy, but I can't write. I can tell good jokes, but I can't write. So I try to take you know to put little zingers in my shows from time to time. And watching Dizzy, everybody was saying, you talk too much. You should just sing. Watching Dizzy play, I was so impressed with his humor as he played. You know, I mean, the music didn't suffer at all. And I go like, wow, this is possible. If you know how to handle this, you know, and, and do it right. So in Vegas, I started to put that into practice in the lounge shows where I was working, putting in a little bit of humor and uh wish I could have had a writer to go on further with that because I still love comedy. 
I'm going to try to, you know, do more of that as well. So with Buddy Guy, Buddy was always so sweet and kind. We always run into each other in Scandinavia. Uh, You know, that was one good thing about living up in Scandinavia was I had the opportunity to meet these people that I would never be able to get in a a, a five-block radius to meet them in the States. I mean, you know, I'd be standing in line like everybody else. But as I was on the festival and we were staying at the same hotel, there was always a chance to talk to different people, Al Jarreau, Buddy, on and on. And they always, and, and, and um, what was the one that was always working with him before he passed away? Junior Wells. Very kind people. Yeah. yeah. And I've yeah. worked uh, uh, with Red Mitchell, the bass player. Uh, he was the MC one year for the Stockholm Jazz and Blues Festival. Then I had a chance to, uh, I, I wasn't programmed this particular year at the Stockholm Jazz and Blues Festival, but Linda Hopkins came, and we were friendly, and she just called me on stage. Uh, I have a video of that on YouTube where she's, you know, she says, I have my best friend here, Jan Harrison. Jan Harrison, right? I'm her best friend. <laughs> I go like, okay. Uh, but she pulls me on stage, and she's dressed in her Bob Mackie gown and looking just gorgeous. And I come up there looking like Aunt Jemima, my braids on. and Oh, but we rocked the house. We had a good time. And then in the evening, she invited me to come to here in this club. And when I walked in, she said, come on up here, Jack, come on up here. And it was a glass piano. She said, we're going to get on the piano. And I said, no. And she pulled me up on this glass piano. She said, because that's where the light is. And we got to have the light. I was told this owner of the club almost had a heart attack. And he checked his glass piano for stress marks for the next year. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's wonderful. So, you know, all of these years of performing, what is the, what's been the biggest thrill for you of being a singer? You know, what is it that always pulls you through and that has been a constant for your longevity in your career? I love the stage. And I, just like comedy, everything has to be honest. When I go on stage, I never really know what I'm going to do other than sing that song. And uh, I just play from the audience. And that gives me my inspiration, the audience. And if I don't have them, then if you see me dancing, then you know I'm in trouble. You're in America now. You're going to be coming to Kansas City. You'll be at the mm-hmm. Uptown Lounge, Knucklehead, mm-hmm. KC Beer Company, the Blue Room. You're going to have mm-hmm. quite a swing through Kansas City. Talk to me how, about how this trip came together and what it means to come to Kansas City to be at so many hallowed institutions. <laughs> well, you know, Deborah Brown. We uh, met in uh, Europe when she was living in Belgium, and I was living in Norway. And uh, then in Sweden, I was there. I had been there numerous times. And she came through, and I introduced her to some friends of mine that had a big band, and they all fell in love with her, of course. And then she began to come there more often. And we just kept in touch. And through the power of Facebook, you know, we kept in touch. And so she just reached out and asked me, uh, would I like to come to Kansas City? And you know I want to come to Kansas City. I want to come. That would be my first stop in the United States since 2006. Wow. The last job I had in, in the United States was at the Tropicana Hotel in Vegas, which does not even exist anymore. 
if if I sung, you know, Kansas City is one of my stock songs because I love it. <laughs> and I want yeah. to come to Kansas City. If I sing that song, will they run me out of the house? No, they will embrace you like you can't believe. In fact, um, after the Royals, the, the our major league team wins the game, they play Kansas City. It's, we celebrate the song. Oh. We like it here. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So yeah, oh, you know, I would love to have a photo op with your quarterback. My God, I'm oh, just so impressed. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Congratulations, Matt Wynn. Yeah, great. and it's, it's fun. The euphoria is kind of wearing off a little bit. It was crazy mm-hmm. here for a while, but it's, it's wonderful to feel that, that thrill and for the, the city to come together. It's a great thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. So if anyone out there wants to get tickets or come to these events and find out about what's going on, can they just go to your website? Is that the best place to find out? Well, yeah, the link is there, and uh, it directs them to what they have to do. I do believe. I mean, I just use the link they gave me because I have nothing to do with the tickets. Okay, okay. So before we kind of get out of the door here, so to speak, I want to kind of get to your essence a little bit. You know, everyone out there has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, Mm -hmm. but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Well, um, I am just a down-home girl that don't want to take no crap from nobody. Be real. I mean, just, you know, hey, I'm an open book, and I want you to be that way. And then we can get along. That's it. And I love my family very much, you know. I mean, I have, um, uh, I say I, we, we have uh, six kids together because I have five on my side and my husband has one. But we are a family. We're married 34 years. And we have um, 23 grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren. And only three of those grandchildren are in Europe. And that's from Nina's side, my husband's daughter's side. Everybody else is in the States, and we're trying to see as many of them as we can. Of course, uh, it didn't work out to get to Oklahoma, so we'll miss out on uh, three of them, and we can't get to Iowa, and we'll miss out on another three, but we're going to try to see the rest. So basically, it's a family uh, holiday, and I just decided, okay, let me try to you know, reinvent myself in the States because, uh, unfortunately, I'm not a linguist. And uh, I'm not very interested in languages. And my husband, he needed to speak better English, so we spoke English, and we just kept speaking English, and we didn't have small children at home. So, ich kann ein bisschen Deutsch sprechen, aber nicht so viel. And I'm going like, hey, wouldn't it be great to get back over here and be able to just, hey, be able to have a conversation? Like now, yeah. like this, yeah. But things are, all of a sudden, just because I'm thinking this way, things are opening up more in Europe. I mean, uh, we, the Best Western Hotel that's not so far from us asked me to develop their lounge, and they want to have gospel brunch. And then uh, we go to Italy, we go to Vienna, uh, and uh, we go back down to southern Germany for some other stuff, too. So... It's opening, and maybe even Norway. I'm, I, I'm, I'm working on that to get back into that market. I want to do that because I spent quite a few years up in Norway and in uh, Stockholm. That's wonderful. This has been great. Thank you for opening up. Have a wonderful stay here in Kansas City. I can't wait to see you live. 
Thank you, sweetie. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers and minds in Germany, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz and blues. And thanks to Janice for her time, energy, and legendary cool. If you want to hear more interviews, you can find Neon Jazz interviews on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.